It's so good to see all of you. Look forward to Sunday every week. It is the highlight of our week. And um, you can pray for, as was mentioned earlier, Crystal and I and our kids and also Mr. Rick. It, our family will be headed down to Texas. Um, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. <laughs> there we go, okay. And uh, where Crystal is originally from, to see her family, we're going down to a little town called Port O'Connor. Crystal's originally from Houston. And, uh, oh, oh, you know, okay, wow, this is great. And uh, well, I'll tell you a little bit about the journey. So we're headed to, then to Houston to visit, visit some more family of Crystal's. And after that, headed up toward Dallas, where Crystal and I met in Bible College. And, uh, and that was many years, many moons ago. And we'll spend some time in the Dallas area and then eventually work our way to Ohio, where I'm originally from, the Midwest, and then back here. And uh, so anyway, we, we will look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks. I want to speak to you this morning about a needed ministry, a needed ministry. If you want to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, we're going to look at a verse in, in Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 6. We've been talking about uh, John the Baptist and the ministry that he had preparing the way for Christ. It was a groundbreaking ministry. It was a ministry of upheaval, a ministry of clearing rocks and cutting down trees, not physically, but of course metaphorically speaking, as he would prepare the, the way for Christ. Christ. And it was a much needed ministry. In fact, it's a ministry that we need to hear about and to come under even today. The text that we're looking at this morning shows us how he was dressed. It's interesting that the Bible would take uh, a verse and actually instruct us about the way that he was clothed. Which means that if it's in the scripture, it's for our edification, it must be important. It says in verse 6, now John was clothed with camel's hair. Nice outfit. Maybe this will be the new pastoral attire. No. Now John, now John was clothed, clothed with uh, camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And that's the end of the verse. We, we can see from this verse that he was uh, evidently a holy man. He was a man of God. In fact, he dressed that way on purpose. He was identifying himself as someone who had come under the rule and the reign of God. This is the way that many people would dress in the prophetic office. In fact, I'd like you to turn back to Zechariah chapter 13 and show this to you in the scripture. Zechariah chapter 13. 
Zechariah chapter 13, verse 4. Zechariah 13, verse 4 says this, On that day every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. So evidently these are prophets who are not prophesying from the Lord. They are prophesying their own imaginations. But notice what it says in the next clause. He will not put on a hairy cloak. There it is. He will not put on a hairy cloak in order to deceive, but he will say, I am no prophet. So evidently, prophets who did speak for God at times were identified by the way that they dressed. But what's interesting here, what John the Baptist dress points out to us, is what he was not doing and what he was not participating in, because this was a ministry of self-denial. And John the Baptist was saying that I am not like the leaders that you often see hanging around Jerusalem who have all sorts of money, who wear long robes, and who love their clothes, and who love their greetings. I'm not that guy, that's what he's saying. If there was anything that we needed to hear about today, it's ministers who come and actually speak in the name of the Lord and are not enamored with money and are not enamored with the fancy suits that they wear and the cars that they drive. One of the saddest things in our day is that many people who especially are not in areas that is uh, predominantly Christian or even has a strong Christian influence, they turn on the TV and they see Christianity and prophets and preachers, so to speak, preaching in the name of the Lord, focused on all the wrong stuff. And oftentimes when these people come into a church where it's not about money, and the pastor is not about the fancy dress. Interestingly, they reject it thinking it's not the real thing. This is so dangerous. And we need to understand uh, where, where does our Christianity come from? What do we really focus on? Recently, I was watching with Mr. Rick a televangelist because sometimes I, I just cannot help watching these guys and sit there enamored with the things that they are saying, the authority that they seem to carry, and their brazen way of bilking people. And this man was saying that people needed to join his new $112 covenant coming from Psalm 112. And so the way it worked was, he doesn't send you money. Isn't that interesting? They never send you money. But if you wanted to be involved in this covenant, what you do is you call up and you give $112. Whether it's a month or a week, or if you want to sow a big seed a day. And what people do is they watch these kind of guys, and if they're not careful, 
they get mesmerized with them and begin to think these guys are the real deal. These guys know what they're talking about. And men who dress in camel's hair and leather belts have no clue what they're talking about because they're too simple, they're too plain. And this was exactly John the Baptist's point. He comes along and he says this, it's not about my glory. If you wanna wear something nice that's perfectly acceptable, you wanna wear something fancy, that's perfectly fine. We're not against that. But what he comes along and he says is, the ministry that he has is not about his own glory and his own pride and his own fame, but it's about Christ, Christ. And he was coming against an apostate system of Judaism that at that day had become much about all this other stuff. In fact, sadly, what we see on TV is exactly what was happening back in these days in Israel as the spiritual leaders were actually robbing from the people and taking money from them in order to get excessively rich. You need to listen to this. This is becoming a, a major problem even in parts of Africa today. This whole notion of the prosperity gospel, this gospel of wealth and prestige and fame, and really it's a gospel that's no gospel at all. It's simply about pride. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 20, verse 45. He says, And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplace. Hello, reverend. Hello, doctor. Hello, father. They love it. They eat it up. They're wearing things that are glamorous in order to impress and impose their prestige and power. They love the greetings in the marketplace and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses. What is he saying? He's saying that they take from the poorest, they take their last two pennies. Many of you have heard the, the story of the, of, the, of the widow who gives her last two copper coins. And oftentimes that's held up as a model of, look how wonderful this lady is, is that she would give her last two pennies. And really what Jesus is teaching there is that this is a picture of an apostate system where the spiritual leaders are, have become so wicked that they will take a widow's last two pennies. That's what's being taught. So he says here that they devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers and instead of receiving a reward it says here very clearly they will receive the greater condemnation 
And John the Baptist comes along and his ministry is about self-denial. It's about suffering. It's about giving up things, not taking things. It's about being willing to be identified with Christ even when it's hard. It's about life in the wilderness. In fact, John would say to people, listen, if you have two tunics, give one away. We've talked about this many times, but our life is but a breath. I was thinking over and over and over again this week about the phrase, this too, this life too shall pass. Only what's done for Christ shall last. And that kept going over and over again in my mind. This life too shall pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only what's done for Christ will last. And John understood this. And God is looking for people who are consumed with this kind of message who say, Lord, I thank you for the good things that you've given. Lord, we're not taking vows of poverty. We're not abandoning our homes to go live in the desert in tents. Lord, we thank you for the money in our pockets. We thank you for the blessings that you have given us. But Lord, help us to understand that this life is not about power and prestige and fame and wealth. Oh, God, sink that into our souls. But Lord, this life is really about you. And Lord, help us not to just talk it, but Lord, in the way that we dress, in the things that we buy, in the way that we live, Lord, help us to be identified with you so that people can say there is a person that actually puts Jesus Christ first in their life. It's interesting what Paul says in 1 Timothy. If you go over to 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. Oh, that God would get that principle into our hearts. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. With these we'll be content. Lord, if you provide our daily bread, Lord, we brought nothing into this world. Naked we came, naked we will return. Blessed be your name. Lord, help us to actually trust you in the way that we behave with our money and our possessions, our things. I want to be very clear here. This is not a call to people in ministry to just live some kind of impoverished life. That's not what this is. This is not a call to be poor. 
I've heard people say in the past, well, the, the pastor, he, he, needs to, he needs to live by faith and we'll help him along with that. And so there are churches, and thankfully it's not this church, but I want you to know that there are churches that don't take care of their pastors in the name of saying things like, we'll make sure he's like a John the Baptist. We'll make sure. We'll make sure that he lives by faith and that he's kept on his toes. And that's not the message here, and that's what we need to understand very clearly. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to show this to you in the text of Scripture because that's where we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14 says this, In the same way the Lord commanded, that is Jesus commanded, listen to this, that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by what? By the gospel. This is Jesus' command, and he says those who proclaim the gospel, the way that they should be supported and the way that they should live is by the gospel. 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 says this, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 says, let the elders... Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. That's talking about financial honor. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages. This is what the scripture says. But what is John the Baptist reminding of us, us of? He is reminding us of the fact that spiritual leaders are not to take advantage of the people. They're not to rip them off. They're not to build their own little kingdoms on the backs of those who are working so hard, struggling to give and simply saying, give more, give more, give more, so that a person at the top can simply get richer and richer and richer. And John the Baptist comes along and he says, listen, this ministry is about one of giving up rights, giving up privileges, and living with contentment. And that's for all of us. How we doing? How we doing? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Do we live contentedly? Or are we consumed with the next bit of money that we hope to get? Are we always looking for more? Or can we actually say with John the Baptist and later with Paul, godliness with contentment is great gain. Lord, I believe that you're going to provide for my daily bread as I trust in you. And the truth of the matter is to each person in this room, we are rich financially. Compared to the rest of this world, we are rich. We are rich spiritually, but we are also rich financially. 
And the prayer for our hearts that should be lifted up to the Lord is saying, Lord, help me when I'm blessed to realize that the money that I've been blessed with is not only to bless me, Lord, we thank you. Lord, you've blessed us beyond measure. Lord, we thank you for the good things that we're even about to eat later on today. Lord, we thank you for gas in our car. Lord, we thank you for all the things that you've done for us above and beyond. But Lord, teach us that the things that you have given us are not really ours. They're yours. And like John the Baptist, help us, Lord, to be able to give them up so that when we're blessed, we might actually be a blessing to others. Lord, help us in that. Help us to be daily reminded of the fact that Jesus Christ, you're our provider. You're going to take care of us. Now, the second thing I think the, the ministry of John the Baptist here reminds us of is that it is a manly ministry. It's a manly ministry. Rugged. I mean, only a dude would wear camel's hair and a leather belt and have a diet of locusts and wild honey. Now, this is not a call to say that all men are going to be wired exactly the same thing, the same way. But this is a call to recognize that God has called men to be men. And men and women are wired differently. This is not a call here for men to gargle motor oil or to think that all men just love cars. You know, if you're a real man, you, you're, you're going to take your car and you're going to you know, go mudding in the hills somewhere and you're going to run a deer down with a knife. And then once you jump on the back of that deer, you're going to rip it open and, and take it home to the wife and the children as it's on your back. That's not what this is a call to. But we are living in a day and age where roles and even genders are being confused. And not all men are wired to go hunting, and that doesn't make a man a manly man because he grows a long beard or he doesn't grow a long beard. This has nothing to do with these kind of things. And I want to be very clear about that because I think sometimes when we, when we hear about men, you know, we talk about men need to do grunt work. They need to do, like, camping. You know, they need to go camping. And there's men sitting there going, why? I don't like camping. I'm not into camping. And oftentimes when we hear about men's ministry, it's just this kind of, of thing. And, and that's not, I, I don't think, what we're trying to get across here. It's simply this, that all men are wired with some kind of ruggedness. There is a ruggedness about manhood. But not all men are exactly the same. In fact, I love the way that John Piper puts it. Listen to this. He says this. Men are freed to have feminine traits without being effeminate. Men are freed to have effeminate traits without being effeminate. Now I'm going to read the rest of this, but I think this is very good. You know, when you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, you think about someone who's tough, 
who's rugged, who's not afraid to see the truth. But sometimes God is even depicted as the one who hides us underneath the shelter of his wings. And Jesus, the Bible says, would not put out a dimly lit wick or a bruised reed. He was gentle. And manliness is not about being a jerk. I'm the leader here. Manliness is not about not being able to communicate and grunting when you talk instead of actually talking, and being unloving and not being gentle and all these things. That has nothing to do with it. In fact, if anything, that's simply a worldly definition of manliness. But Piper, and I couldn't agree more, he says that men are free to have feminine traits without being effeminate. And women are free to have masculine traits without being tomboys. You know, just because a guy says, you know what, I, my, thing is, um, my thing is more like office work, doesn't all of a sudden not make him a man. And just because a woman might like to go cut down a tree doesn't make her a tomboy. And so when we talk about manliness and when we talk about womanhood, these are not the things that we're talking about. Listen to this. He goes on to say, the most admirable women have masculine traits and the most admirable men have feminine traits. Lopsided masculinity and femininity are not as admirable. Isn't that true? Let me ask you this. When you think about a real man, you think about someone who can be tough, there is a ruggedness about him. When you think about John the Baptist, you say, you say to yourself, there, there's a man. But there's also a gentleness. There's also a servanthood. What makes a real man a man is the fact that he's willing to lay his life down for his wife and his children. He's willing to be a gentle protector. And if there's anything that comes into my mind when I think about manhood, it's this one word. It's initiative. Initiative. The man takes the initiative in the home in spiritual matters. This is what manhood is, not a, is about. It's not about him going around in cowboy boots or, 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 or going around in mud boots or whatever, or driving an ATV. That's not manhood. That might be all well and good. That's all fine and good. But when the Bible talks about manhood, we could lump it under a word, and that is initiative. He is concerned and consumed with the things of God. I have seen many, many men who are consumed with their career. They're consumed with, with all sorts of things when it comes to finances. They're consumed with sports. Oh man, they've got to have their, their, their direct TV set up and make sure that all the sports channels are there. They've got to be there on time. When they go to a sporting event, they, 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 they make sure that we can cut out a church early because we got to get to this sporting event. I mean, it's all around sports. Or perhaps it's... Uh, drinking with the buddies or hanging out at the bar or even if it's not that it's just hanging out with other guys you know it's just being a guy 
They're like, this is, what, this is what manhood is all about. We're in the woods with mosquitoes. We're miserable, but we're men. This is, this is we're men. Arr. That's not manhood. You know what I'm tired of seeing over and over and over again, and I think is epidemic in this area, and that is women, listen, women who lead spiritually in the home. Do you know how many men I have seen even come into this church where the wife is the spiritual leader of the home? And the man is someone who simply sits there, kind of goes along with the tide, simply says, well, church is kind of her thing. Her thing? Really? That's not true. That's not what the Bible says. A man's primary ministry, listen carefully, a man's primary ministry is about God. It's about his family. And a real man is consumed with spiritual things. He wants to make sure, he wants to make sure that his family, more than anything, isn't only financially provided for, but that there's devotions going on in the home. A man leads. He doesn't just wait for his wife to say, hey, don't you think sometime we should read the Bible around here sometime? When they come into the church, it's not just the lady going, well, I'm concerned about this and this and this, and the man sitting there going, well, you know, at, you know church is church, and wherever she likes to go to church, that's, that's fine. That's not manhood. And when we look at the life of John the Baptist, we see someone who took initiative in spiritual matters. I've got to quote him again because it's, it's too good. Normally I don't do this many quotes, but li listen to this. Men are, pro are properly, this is by Piper again, men are properly attracted to the Christian life when it does not appear that he must become effeminate to be a Christian. How true that is. There are many men who think, well, church and Christianity, that's for, for wives and grandmas and little children. Oh, no, it's not. The Bible is very clear that the church is to be led by men. The apostles were men. John the Baptist was a man. And these men led with dignity and they led with grace. And when a man leads like that, his wife will want to follow him. And the responsibility of wives is to follow and to accept his leadership. He goes on to say, dominance of female leadership undermines the proper sense of a man's call to be a leader, protector, and provider. Let me say that again. Dominance of female leadership undermines the proper sense of a man's call to be a leader, a protector, and a provider. If you go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16.
1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. Be watchful. Stand in the faith. Act like men. How does a man act like a man? Well, he's watchful and he stands firm in the faith. He loves sound doctrine. He's driven in the word. Here's how a man acts. Verse 14. Let all that you do be done in what? And love. That's a man. It's not about if he has a mountain bike on his back rack, on his truck. So we see in the ministry of John the Baptist, this much needed ministry, we see self-denying. We also see it's a manly ministry. A man takes initiative. And lastly, we close, close with this. It's a prophetically rooted ministry. It's a prophetically rooted ministry. When people saw John the Baptist, they said, he reminds me of someone. Dresses like someone. In fact, if they knew their Bibles, they would say, I wonder if it's this guy. I wonder if he's him. In fact, if you go back to Malachi, Malachi chapter 4, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of destruction. He says, before the Lord comes, and he's going to come suddenly, there's going to be another sudden appearance of one who's actually going to provide and prepare for the way of the Lord. And that's Elijah. And this is why people wondered, John the Baptist, are you... Are you Elijah? In fact, if you go back to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 1, 2 Kings chapter 1, Second Kings chapter 1, verse 7, we don't have time to uh, develop this story, but he said to them, what kind of man, verse 7, 2 Kings 1, verse 7, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? And they answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. Sound familiar? And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. And so there's a mirror going on. It's not actually Elijah, but it's one like Elijah. Elijah in the Old Testament wears hair, leather belt, we come to the New Testament, we have John the Baptist wearing camel hair, leather belt. 
They both are dealing with apostate, corrupt religious systems. Both of their messages is it's time to repent and prepare and get right with God. That's their message. Their message is a message of cracking and breaking, breaking things up. Now we end with this text because it's so right to Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Jeremiah 6, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Chapter 6, verse 16, says this. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. When John the Baptist comes, he's declaring not a unique message, but he is declaring a message that is old. His ministry resembles that of Elijah, and the message that Elijah preached, that old message, that prophetic message, is the exact same message that John the Baptist preached and that is turn back to your God. Get right with the Lord. Repent. Believe. This is the message he preached. And if there's anything we need today, listen carefully as we close. If there's anything we need today, it's preachers and leaders who go back to the old paths, who, who get prophetically rooted in their message who stops saying, I'm going to depend on surveys and marketing techniques. I'm going to come up with clever messages that no one has ever heard before. But getting back to the scripture and declaring the old paths, because it's in the old paths, as Jeremiah tells us, that's where we're healed. That's where we're healed. There is no unique message. There is no clever message that can be made up today that will heal people's souls. And I would just ask you today, are you willing to head down the old path? Are you willing to follow your Lord and Savior like John the Baptist did? Because a call to be like John the Baptist is not a call to be rude. It's a call to be spirit-anointed, but more than that, it's a call to die and to follow our Lord in his suffering. Because through Christ and his death, we too might also follow him. How we need today the old paths. Oh, we need them. We need the old paths. Would you stand with me as we close? Father, we come to you in Jesus' name today, and we thank you for the needed ministry of John the Baptist.